This time on episode 422 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. We talk Moon Knight Season 1, Episode 4, The Tomb, weekly Marvel news, including Thor, Love and Thunder teaser trailer, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse has a new release date, and Disney Plus working to restore access after certain episodes went missing, and we talk your feedback, including Mr. Pericles commenting about the scene in the pyramid. I'm SP from the GuineaGeek.com show, a weekly geek news podcast that is part of the GuineaGeek.com network. Just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other amazing geek shows at GuineaGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the shield director. Now it's time for your scheduled debriefing. I'm Agent Michelle. I'm Agent Chris. I'm Consultant Anthony. And I'm producer of the show, Director SP. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a Marvel Comic Universe fan show discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Marvel Comic Book Universes as told on screen by Marvel Studios. This show is recorded on Thursday, April 21st, 2022, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast Mooncast wide. Why don't you come and join our live chat as we record? Hey gang, happy World Creative and Innovation Day. You couldn't come up with anything better than that? <laughs> well, I would think that we're talking about comic books and we're talking about creativity and innovation. Comic books have been all about that ever since Stan Lee's early days at time, um, Timeless Comics. Timely. Timely. Are you just trying to shame me into writing this thing instead of talking about how I want to write this thing? Yeah. Sure, we can shame. Shame, shame, shame. No, I'm not shaming anybody. Shame. Also, happy Earth Day. Woohoo! Yeah, happy Earth. Earth Day. One of the last ones we're ever going to celebrate before the planet's fried to a crisp. Could be true. Could be true. Okay. Well, yep, this is World Innovation Day. It's been going on for a few years now. On uh, 2017, I believe, was the day that it was first observed by the UN and then it actually officially took place in 2018. So this is the fourth year, fifth year, I guess, of World Creativity and Innovation Day. So I hope you've done something creative and innovative today. Wouldn't that be this? I was just going to say, we are doing it because we love talking about Marvel. Because of very interestingly timed nerdgasms. If you'd like to talk to us about your nerdgasms, you can visit our website, legendsshield.com. If you just really need somebody to listen to you info dump about your nerdgasm, you can call the voicemail at 844-THE-BUS-1. That's 844-843-2871. You can send us your very long Twitter thread on Twitter at Legends of Shield. If you have a really interesting visual aspect to your nerdgasms, why don't you make a video and then share it with us? You can find us over on YouTube at Gunna Geek. You can share your immense info dub on our Discord server at GunnaGeek.com slash Discord. 
And don't forget that Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a proud member of the GunnaGeek.com network, where we basically just have nerdgasms all the time. All the time. Matter of fact, we have double the nerdgasms tonight because we have Anthony guesting from his own podcast, Capes on the Couch. Again, Anthony, thank you for joining us. That's good to be back. And I feel like this episode is the first one, maybe since the first episode, and even more so that you definitely need someone who knows Moon Knight to explain what in the name of all that is good and holy happened in the last third of the episode. We definitely need to talk about that. I have some opinions on it as well, and we're just going to get into it right now because there's a lot to talk about. Moon Knight, Episode 4, The Tomb, premiered on Disney Plus Wednesday, April 20th, 2022. The IMDb description reads, Mark and Steven must find balance as supernatural threats head look to stop them. All right, Michelle, who directed the episode? This episode is directed by Justin Benson, has 12 directing credits starting in 2010, including one of The Twilight Zone, one Loki, and six Moon Knight. And Chris, who wrote the episode? We had three writers for this episode of Moon Knight. First up, we have Alex Minahan, who has three writing credits since 2020, 11 of Bosch, and this episode of Moon Knight. We also have Peter Cameron, who has 10 writing credits since 2009, which include eight episodes of Carnival Row, nine episodes of this thing you might have heard of called WandaVision, and a pair of Moon Knight episodes. And finally, we have Sabir Perzada, who has five writing credits since 2015, two of which were episodes of Person of Interest, 11 episodes of Roswell, New Mexico, and of course, two episodes of Moon Knight. Yeah, this is the second episode for both Peter and Sabir. We will talk about how successful they have been. By the way, Jeremy Slater is the Moon Knight showrunner. We've talked about him before. And we've talked a lot about the cast on the previous three episodes about individuals that have appeared. And this episode was a little bit trying on the people that actually appeared and made special appearances, basically, in the episode. But we found one to talk about. Anthony, who played Dr. Grant? Dr. Grant was played by Joseph Milson, who has been acting since about 1997, and he's got 72 credits to his name, according to his IMDb profile. Among them, Casino Royale, the Sarah Jane Adventures, and various genre video games. And so this was in his wheelhouse in terms of the role that he played as Dr. Grant and the pulpy throwback action sequence, such as it was his little appearance in the Tomb Buster segment of the episode. We'll talk a little bit more about that later, but in the meantime, so we don't step over each other on what actually happened in the episode, we have this little thing that we do, and it's exclusive to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. We have a synopsis that is definitely made for you. So, Michelle, why don't you go ahead and start? Stone Conchu is helped to his dungeon-style Marvel Pop Funko display shelf and is correctly placed alphabetically with nine of his fellow gods. In what we presume is an elegant fight scene, but was virtually unwatchable due to extreme darkness, Layla puts her moves on the Harrow Faithful using two flares to dodge, dip, duck, dive, and dodge, saving the married couple from certain death. 
The couple drive to Haro's dig site, finding it ravished and abandoned, before Stephen tells Layla Mark's motivations and punches himself out, possibly allowing the third personality to assume control of the body. Once entering into the needlessly filmed dark underground maze, the couple discover protective mummified priest warriors, gross disembowelments, and an ever-antagonistic Arthur Haro who sows the seeds of doubt between Layla and Mark. Stephen discovers the tomb of Alexander the Great and uses the knowledge of the Museum and Tricks of Indiana Jones to grab Ahmed's Yushapti. Instead of wisely running from Harrow, Layla and Mark decide to instead have a marital discussion regarding Mark's previous involvement in Layla's father's execution. Harrow uses his trick from Indiana Jones and shoots Mark as he is effectively wielding a bladed melee weapon, causing Mark to tumble lifelessly into the tomb's bottomless pool. In a clever use of wormhole extreme, I mean tomb buster, the possible origins of Dr. Grant were shown. Cut to scene straight from FX's Legion, Mark finds himself sedated in a mental institution surrounded by people and items from the past few days. Is this his life or the afterlife, or is this an Amit-fueled dream? Mark liberates Stephen from a sarcophagus, runs by another possible altar in a sarcophagus, and the twins are both confronted by a hippo being in the form of the god Toweret, who just wanted to say hi as the credits roll to a joint scream of Stephen and Mark. And that's what happened in the episode. So, Michelle, you got the floor first. What are your first impressions of the episode? Wow, I wish I could watch about, like, half of it. It was just so dark. It reminds me of that Game of Thrones episode. I don't know if it was just a cinematography thing or if it's Disney wanting to save a bunch of money. But that was a problem. And we had the whole mental hospital as a possible reality trope going on. And we'll talk more about that later. I think my reactions are best summed up as a noise, roughly along the lines of, (laughs) I love this. This was the first episode where having read Moon Knight comics, specifically the Jeff Lemire run, is almost a prerequisite, which has both pros and cons. This is just my opinion, but I think it's the worst Marvel episode ever. Couldn't see half the episode. I watched it again today, and I think what Disney Plus did is they lightened up those dark scenes because last night they were definitely darker than they are today. Half the episode was an aggravated Hallmark love story gone wrong between Layla and Mark, although we knew that was going to happen. And then half the episode was an acid trip without any context. And that's the key, without any context. If you go into this and you don't know anything about Moon Knight, you don't know anything about that previous comic book run that Anthony was talking about, muggle audiences, that's what I'll call them, muggle audiences that don't know about that, just won't be able to grasp it or care for it. Not saying us, not saying fans, deep fans of Marvel. I'm saying normal people. This is just not watchable for them, in my opinion. Right. We didn't really talk about where we wanted to start the discussion, but I think we need to start at the end because that ending has so much wrapped up into it. Like what happened, what's going on, that sort of thing. So, Anthony, why don't you just lay down some law on what happened in that last 10 minutes? So the psych facility and everything that occurred in it was very much a reference to the Jeff Lemire run where the beginning of the arc, 
has Mark trapped in a psych facility. Almost everything is all white, and he's surrounded by his friends and the regular cast of characters. If you're a fan of the comics, it's Frenchie, Gina, Crawley, Marlene, etc. And he's being sedated and regularly abused and attacked by two of the orderlies who take great joy in torturing him. And he escapes to the roof to discover Khonshu waiting there, explaining to him that everything he's seeing with respect to the facility is not really there. And it's only when he puts on a crude version of a Moon Knight mask that he can see that the guards are really jackal-like beings under the auspices of Amit, or as the person is in the mental facility, it's Dr. Dr. Emmett. And so for me, when I was watching the episode and he falls into the pool, the whole Tomb Buster thing and the aspect ratio shift, I was like, okay, I really don't know where they're going with this. But because I had the background in the character, as soon as they zoomed out into the facility and you see all the characters that he's interacted with, and it was clear that it was a show that was on the TV and all the references to the previous episodes, I was able to click right back in and go, okay, I know what they're doing now and I'm good. But I also acknowledge most people have no idea what the hell they're watching. Uh, this is a trope of having someone wake up and, oh, they're in a mental hospital. Now, are we supposed to question their sanity and that? And I have, not just for it being a trope, I knew it wasn't an actual mental illness facility. It wasn't a hospital for the mentally ill because it's too white too interior i'm sorry the interior design is too white it's too clean it's too quiet and no doctor is going to have their office to see patients out in the middle of the common room so if they wanted the viewer to have any sort of doubt of mark or steven having imagined the previous three episodes or have us question anything that's happened that's not happening so i immediately was like well this has to be some sort of afterlife sort of deal because he fell into the water and just like luke cage and shang chi before him we know he's not dead because he's something's going to happen here and then he's going to rise from the water because that's what happened characters who supposedly die in the water they come back cleansed and rejuvenated that's another trope so of course this has to be some sort of test or revelation yeah i do not have the comic background that anthony spoke of earlier everything i know of moon knight i learned from anthony literally but i do enjoy watching really weird things and so seeing this ending with all of the characters that we know in a completely new context, all of the Egyptian stuff around the hospital, which to me was kind of a giveaway that there was really something going on. And especially the fact that Mark Steven is sitting there holding an action figure of Moon Knight while he's strapped 
into the wheelchair, that's when I was instantly, okay, I really hate the reaction that people are going to have because we're watching this week by week. But when you can binge this and watch it all in one shot, maybe two shots, this is going to be so much better. I would agree with you there. That's going to be a key difference as this goes forward and you're able to watch it all together. Unfortunately, while we're recording this, we're stuck in the week where we don't get to see episode five. And if you're talking about linear television or even streaming television, that is like what we're doing on a weekly basis. Here's something that I've learned from Hollywood. The key to a good cliffhanger between episodes like we're talking about here or seasons is to have the audience question, what does this mean? not what just happened and in this particular case that's what everybody's questioning unless you have the background of what happened i don't understand what's going on not what does this mean so that's the key difference if you look at any really good cliffhanger that we've watched in tv for a while like the best of both worlds in star trek the next generation there's an iconic cliffhanger in between season three and four it wasn't what just happened It's literally, what does this mean? And I think that they missed the boat on this. Now, Chris, you pointed out, eventually this is just going to be a streaming show. So it's not really going to matter all that much, but for right now, it matters. And also, when you have to run to the media right afterwards to explain what happened, like the showrunner and the producers and everybody did, I think you failed in telling the story a bit. Now, there's something with mystery that could be there. But anyway, that's my key issue with this and the blackness of the episode as we first saw it. Hopefully, they'll, like I said, they have lightened it up so you can see a little bit more. But I couldn't, the whole battle between Layla and with the mummified priest, I didn't know what the heck was going on there the first time I watched it. It was just, it wasn't good. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the end. So the other thing that happened with the end was that there was a second sarcophagus with some pounding on it. And there was also earlier in the episode, a time where Stephen knocked himself out right before he went down into the tomb. And I think in both cases, we're talking about another identity. And Anthony, would you agree with that? I don't know that I agree with the second part of that. There's definitely, Jake is definitely in that sarcophagus. I will bet any amount of money that's who's in the sarcophagus and we will likely see them next week as to the Steven knocking himself out and falling down. I don't think that was an appearance by Jake. I think that was just Mark's way of getting back at Steven for kissing Layla that Mark was just, I'm going to take control just long enough to just punch myself right in the face. I don't think Jake was necessarily involved with that. I think that was purely a Mark and Steven situation, which I thought was fantastically hilarious, by the way, and expertly acted by Oscar Isaac as is everything else that he does in the show. I think that if Mark is going to lay claims to Layla like that, then he needs to not be such a butt face. I thought that was funny as well, the punching in the face. I didn't think that was Jake. I think Jake is in the other sarcophagus, actually put that in my notes, you know, hey, I think that's Jake. And wouldn't Anthony be proud of me that I realized that's Jake. As for not opening it, I completely understand why they didn't. First off, Mark is trying to figure out what's going on. He's running away. He 
sees the first one and that one is actually on the ground. There's banging and he hears someone asking for help. Help get me out of here. He opens it. He finds Stephen. Stephen is the known entity. And then when they run, the other sarcophagus is upright. So that is different and really didn't hear anybody talk. And this reminds me, I actually put down in my notes, the let's make a deal problem, which I don't, for those of you who don't know, let's make a deal is a game show. At first it was hosted by Monty Hall. It's now hosted by Wayne Brady, where people dress up. So I think it's really the first occurrence of seeing cosplay on TV. But the big trope is whether it's three boxes or three doors or something, it's always, here's this great prize. Try to guess which box or whatever it's in. But before you do that, I'm going to give you money or something safe for you to select. And that way you don't have to risk getting like the zonker one, which sometimes was like a donkey. It was great for TV, but not for the people who end up getting a donkey. And it was one of those things. It was like, okay, Mark, I really don't know what's going on. I have Steven, who's a known entity. I'm not going to risk anything by opening up door number three. So for those of you who are like, well, why didn't they just open it? That's why it, it was too unknown, with too much going on. I completely understand why they did not open it. Let's talk about the fact that they were completely separate entities. This wasn't sharing the same body. Mark's in a different body than Steven. And Anthony, you pointed out that the Moon Knight figurine, that is another entity that is not in either body. And then you have the third body, which is or third identity, which is in the sarcophagus, assuming that is correct. So you have four different entities that are sharing the same body in real time outside of whatever this is i don't know if it's dream world or whatever it is but that is important that they actually get to interact with each other which the only way that they've ever had to do that in the past is through mirrors in the past where they can talk back and forth to each other they actually hugged each other in the hallway right like oh my gosh this is great so from that perspective that was an amazing part of the episode that wouldn't have happened had they not been wherever they're at yeah, it was very United States of Tara-esque. If you're familiar with that show, it was uh, Tony Collette as a housewife with dissociative identity disorder. And the conceit for that show was that they would cut to a room inside of her head, basically a table with all of the various altars, and they were all played by Tony Collette sitting at the table and essentially whoever was at the head of the table was the altar that was in control of the physical body at this point but it was a way for all of the altars to converse with each other and so there was a very common trope that during the show we would cut inside of i forget the tara it was inside tara's head and see the various altars conversing and sometimes it would lead to an altar taking control sometimes it was I'm staying in control, but I'm going to give you the floor to speak your piece, so to speak. And so that's kind of what it reminded me of, but in a slightly darker sense. Is this, Anthony, I was wondering if this also happened in that comic run you were talking about, having all of them in that space together like that? So at the end of the Lemire run, they are able to 
coalesce and merge together and also defeat Khonshu because they realize that Khonshu has undue influence on all of them. And so Mark et al. come to the realization that whether it's through the childhood trauma or because of the influence of Khonshu, that his altars are all a part of him. And so he manages to essentially bring them all together. And so they merge and Mark hugs Mark in that, or it's odd to describe because you have to kind of read throughout the whole run to understand it, but there is a hug amongst all of the altars and they all acknowledge each other and cooperate and work together. So I thought that the hug between Stephen and Mark that we saw was a kind of homage to it, or at least saying this is the vibe that we're going for. Let's talk about the very last scene and the very first scene. Very last scene, you have Stephen and Mark coming up with this entity that's a living hippopotamus, you know, a hippopotamus in personal form. And she says, hi, like, I'm surprised too. And then Mark and Stephen scream together and the, the way that only Oscar Isaac can scream, right? That was, was a great Oscar Isaac scream. But let's equate that to the very first scene where we saw the stone version of Conchu being placed in the, I don't know, viewing room or whatever you want to call it, the display room with nine other supposedly gods. I'm, I'm just assuming they're gods. That's an assumption that I made. So is this hippopotamus a god that might be on the shelf with Conchu? Eagle-eyed fans did pause and zoom in and say that there's one in the back that they're like 98% certain is tower it. Okay. So let's explore tower it a little bit. What is tower it? She's the Egyptian goddess of fertility as a very basic two second scan that I was going through. That's essentially what she represents. Yeah. Chris and I were DMing last night after we both watched the episode and we came up with that conclusion too, but I just wanted to make sure that I was going down the right road there. So supposedly maybe this God is going to help Stephen and Mark and maybe the third altar move ahead with getting out of where they're at. I don't know. At this point, episode five and episode six, the people involved with the show said they're going to blow our minds. So I hope so, because they put us in a position where I think there's nowhere to go but up. But that's just, again, my opinion. And I also noticed when. Mark was running away from Dr. Harrow. I don't know what that name was. We saw the crocodile-headed god. Is it crocodile or an alligator? Did you notice that? No, I didn't. Was it- I saw the statue, yes. Yes, you saw the statue. Did you see it? And they actually paused on it for a bit. So I remember... Because someone in our comments before was like, the later Gators isn't referring to that God. So when I saw that moment, I thought maybe the commenter, I'm sorry, listener, I am not remembering your name right now, but I'm remembering you your comment. someone, someone. That's yeah. great. I um, love that. <laughs> I, listener, I, I remember you sent in that comment and, I re- and re- you know, it came up when I was watching. The god is Sobek, by the way. And it's definitely a crocodile in that part of the world. All right. Are you guys done talking about the last 10 minutes or so, or do you have anything more? Because I'd like to go back to the tomb. I mean, only in the sense that I do want to say that Tomb Buster 
the film within the show. There is a theory, so to speak, that we're going to see more of that next week and that it might give us an opportunity to see Mark's comics accurate origin story told within the film that we might get to see a version of Roa Bushman. We might get to see Dr. Alrain, some of those characters that we know from the comics. It might be a way for them to cheat a little bit and say, well, we're going to give you Bushman and Dr. Alrain and the shooting and everything, but it's going to be in the vein of this Indiana Jones, the mummy pulp style knockoff. Yeah. In the synopsis that are, is exclusive to legends of shield, I equated it to wormhole extreme, which is out of the Stargate SG universe. If you go to, I believe it's episode 200 of Stargate SG one, you'll see wormhole extreme in there, which is a campy representation of the actual show Stargate SG one. I know this is a little bit different, but it had so many similarities that I thought I'd throw it in there. So for those wondering what Wormhole Extreme is, that's what it was. It was the spinoff spoof that was in episode 200 of Stargate SG-1. Let's go back to the tomb, because I would agree that that's straight out of Indiana Jones or Tomb Raider or whatever you want to call it. That part was kind of fun, except for the darkness of it. and. I did enjoy the story. It was just very hard to watch. So what did you guys think of that whole thing, Chris? The first thing that my wife and I said to each other basically at the same time was, hey, it looks like we're watching Uncharted. I thought it was a great use of the mystery of Alexander the Great's tomb. Alexander the Great. I have a couple of links in the show notes. It's to um, a two-part documentary. It's like 15 minutes each, so it's a half hour if you want to watch. What's interesting about Alexander the Great body, when he died, because he didn't have an heir and he died away from Greece, chaos erupted around and his body was forgotten for days. Now, in the heat and everything, he should have started to decompose. This is not one account. Many people actually saw that when they went and they saw his body, they were expecting a mess. Instead, his body was still fine. Like it had just died. Like nothing was wrong with it. And taking that fact and having him being like an avatar to this God, it's a nice way of going, well, that could be an explanation as to why his body didn't decompose. He was this avatar to this God and that made him extra, extra special. Where is Alexander the Great's tomb is one of the great modern mysteries because his body was known from going from one sarcophagus to another. Um, Ptolemy of Egypt actually stole the sarcophagus on its way back to Greece because he wanted to solidify his power in Egypt. And Alexander the Great was the epitome of being like the perfect, not so much man, but he's, he ended up being worshipped like a god you know, strategy, you know, he, he was smart, the strategy, he conquered half the known world. So it was just really great. People are like, is it there? People are like, it could be like in the Vatican because of the, another switch with the possibility. Some think it's Alexander, the city of Alexandria has sunken and the modern one is built on top of it. So people think it's underneath there. 
it's one of those things that's like, where is Alexander the Great's tomb? Where's the Ark of the Covenant? Where's this? When I saw that and he was like, this is, this is Alexander the Great's tomb. I'm going, oh, good one. Good one, creators. Good one. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed that. I actually, when the episode was done, looked up information on Alexander the Great and the tomb because I was like, do we really not know anything about where he's buried, etc.? But I will also say that as much as I enjoyed all of that, I did have to boost the lighting on my TV just a titch. And I have an OLED television. I'm not saying that as a brag. I'm saying because it provides such fantastic contrast. And I still couldn't see what the hell was going on. Now, admittedly, the first time I watched it was in the daytime with sunlight kind of shining on my screen. So I had to close the curtains and I had to shift my TV settings just to be able to see what was happening. I watched it again at night with my wife and I was able to pick up a lot more. And I'm wondering, I don't remember if it was Chris or SP, but if they tweaked the contrast and the lighting just a little bit for folks later in the day because they were getting so many complaints, which is what HBO should have done with Game of Thrones, but that's a whole another discussion. Yeah, that was me. I do have an old LED television and I had problems. I turned off all the lights in the house. It was completely dark and I still couldn't see it. It was very, very frustrated. I put on, I have special movie glasses to put on that are not bifocals that are just meant for distance. It's meant for movies and for sporty events and stuff like that. And nothing worked, nothing at all. I tried to get closer. That didn't work either. And it was very frustrating. Now, Back to the whole actual tomb thing. You had some mystery there. You had some callbacks. Remember, at the end of episode one, I told you guys, there's going to be something in this episode that's going to be referred back to in the finale. And one of the things that came back was the whole how you mummify people. So that priest was doing it to that poor guy, follower of Harrow, right on the table. But that's where the little figurine, the you the Ushapti? Ushapti, thank you. The little Ushapti, and he had to go in and fish it out because that's the way that mummies are embalmed, I guess. I don't know how what exactly to call it. That's the way that the bodies were prepared for the afterlife, right? He had to go in and do that. So that was a callback back to episode one right there, as was Donna. I was like, are we ever gonna see Donna again? And then we get to see Donna in the last 10 minutes. So there's a couple of callbacks to the first episode. This is in episode six, but we've already had a couple of callbacks here. And that, that was good. The whole thing of Layla and Mark arguing in front of the tomb of Alexander the Great. I mean, Layla, you got to know, I know you're mad at the guy, but if you stay there, bad things are going to happen. So get the heck out of there. So that, that whole trope thing of arguing where bad forces are coming in. I was like, Layla is too smart to do. I, maybe she was emotionally distraught because it was her dad or something like that. But I'm like, get out of there, get out of there. Like screaming at the TV, get out of there. And they just didn't get out of there. But the fact was they were going in, Stephen was drawing out the shape of the tomb and how it was configured and they decided to go through the tongue because that's where the voice of Amit was going to be. That was great. It, straight out of all those archaeology action films and series and video games that we've been talking about. So that part of the episode was pretty great. I also want to say the acting 
was really good throughout the episode. I have no problems with the acting in this whatsoever. And it's just the production value, the editing, the cinematography that I had issues with. There wasn't a lot of fights in this episode. I just wanted to say that as well. There wasn't a lot of fights in the episode. I mean, we got a couple of short action scenes, but there weren't any huge epic fights. I mean, the one time that we started to get an epic fight, it was Mark as he was wielding that blade, right? And then Arthur just shot him straight out of Indiana Jones. So that was interesting. I don't know if there's anything too much to say about the beginning when they're going through the desert and there's that action scene. I think it was literally trying to get from where they were to the tomb. And that unfortunately was shot way too dark, in my opinion. I watched it several times that night because I'm like, what am I watching? I don't understand. And it took me a long time to realize that they were trying to depict the ammo storage box that was there from that big mounted gun and that she was going to throw the flare into that ammo box and then set it off. It took me a long time to realize that that's what they were trying to show. And I, even after I knew what happened, it was difficult to see. Keep on talking about the darkness of the episode. I need to stop because we've hit that hard. All right. Anything else in the episode that you guys want to talk about, Chris? It really bothered me that when they were trying to figure out how to get out, Mark and Layla have finally, or Stephen and Layla rather, have finally decided that they're going to run away way too late. So Layla runs. That part's fine. Stephen, yeah, I'll figure out a way out. You know what's usually a good sign of a way out? is when there's light coming into the room. Light from straight above him. If nothing else, climb through the hole in the ceiling. If you have a ladder. Well, he can jump. He can climb on top of stuff. Okay. Just go. You've already shown this, that you're athletic and everything. Just do it, Steven. He was doing some parkour on the rooftops earlier. Yeah. Okay. The Hekka worshippers, although cool as a concept with the clicking and everything, it was so out of left field. There wasn't any foreshadowing or indication that that was going to be a thing. So that kind of threw me for a loop. I was like, I felt like Layla and Steven when they were in the tomb and they were like, what are they shooting at? I was like, I have no idea what the hell is going on. There's been no indication of anything like that throughout this show. So that to me just seemed like it, it was like, wait, wait what? That threw me more than the mental facility at the end. Well, they'd already had their Uncharted and Tomb Raider references, so they needed to get a Last of Us reference in there, too. I was thinking more like, I don't know, I guess I was feeling some Temple of Doom vibes. Well, you know, if you have a brain full of snakes. Yeah, there was a lot of snake skins in that one room that was above the main room. And I wish we could have gotten a better look at that because I was trying to figure out what was going on up there. And other than it being a loft, I have no idea why it was there. So wait, the heck of people aren't connected to Amit? I thought, okay, if anything's confused about where they came from, then that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, I, I got nothing on that. Okay, wow. It's new to me. So they weren't the priests that were protecting Amit? Or protecting Alexander? I okay i'm lost i mean they very well could have been but there was just like i said no no foreshadowing or anything yeah so yeah just something in the cave something in the tomb all right 
I think we're talked out about the episode. Let's talk about the future. Predictions. Who wants to go first? Everything and nothing is on the table now. So I'm going to predict that the Moon Knight action figure will enlarge in size Power Rangers style. And that will be what helps bust Mark, Steve, and Jake back into reality. I said earlier, we're definitely going to see Jake. And I believe all of the gods whose Ushabtis we see in the room, along with Khonshu, are going to be needed to battle Amit. And it's going to lead to potentially another sea change in the MCU in terms of gods and mythology and control over humanity. Yeah, I was hoping all of the gods that got are displayed, it's like, free them all, free them. I think that is going to definitely happen. Yeah, Jake's going to come around. I was hoping more for Layla. But maybe in the next two episodes, she's written better and she gets to, you know, kick some more butt like she did in the previous episode. I don't necessarily think I had a qualm with Layla and how she was portrayed and everything other than the let's get out of the Alexander the Great tomb area. But there could have been more action. She is definitely an action star. So I'm looking forward to that. I wanted to bring up before we left that we've been talking about where is this in relation to the MCU? Well. The showrunner, Jeremy Slater, responded to a fan on Twitter who was asking, where is this in relation to the MCU? And it's linked in the show notes, but he basically admitted the lack of a firm date of the MCU. He said, quote, a lot of people have asked about when Moon Knight takes place in the MCU, but I have no idea. Sorry, we didn't know when our show would debut in relation to their other shows and films. So the timeline was intentionally left vague, unquote. So he doesn't even know if it's pre-snap, post-snap, post-end game. He doesn't know or he's not saying, or maybe he just got it wrong. Like he was thinking in terms of this is post-end game and we just don't know where it's fitting in post-end game. So very open-ended answer there. And that's from the showrunner. There you go. All right, next time, hopefully, we'll be talking about episode five of Moon Knight. And until then, we do have other news stories to talk about. All right, so first up, we have Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse news. It heads to summer 2023. So what's going on is Sony's animated sequel to the Oscar-winning movie Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, is moving from October 7th this year to June 2nd, 2023. The news is breaking just before the studio's presentation at CinemaCon next week. Meanwhile, the pick's sequel, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 2, is dated for March 29th, 2024. The movies were screaming premium, large format, and IMAX. I don't know about you guys, but this is a little disappointing to me to be pushing this that far out because Into the Spider-Verse was amazing and I've just been looking forward to the sequel. Now, I that said, I do want them to get it right. If they need to take the extra time to get it right, that's okay with me, but I just want to see it. Same. 
Yeah, a lot of the chat going around on Reddit indicates that it's because they're working on the appearance and the story and they're refining it and they want to get this right because they know that they have a very high bar to clear with respect to the first film and they do not want to blow it. That being said, we do have two special guests to show us their reaction. Aww. Miles and Gwen are sad. Aww. Well, they might be sad, but they're working right now. You know, they're. Yeah, but they wanted us to be able to see it sooner. Yeah. Well, don't we all? All right, Chris, you have an ongoing series of news stories now. I think this is the fourth week in a row that we've been talking about it. What's going on with Disney Plus? This week in Disney Plus doesn't know how to keep their fingers out of the pie. They have had customers relay online and verified sources from Deadline that their purge of episodes before was not something that they intentionally did. It was a technical issue, which they have since come around and fixed. We had some updates in here. You do have some episodes that were missing from titles like Agent Carter, X-Men, some unrelated things like the DuckTales cartoon, Lizzie McGuire, Owl House, if you have small kids. They're having episodes just pop back up. Meanwhile, Disney has said they are actively working to resolve the issue, impacting access to a subset of series episodes for some Disney Plus subscribers. And they're sorry for the experience and appreciate everyone's patience. I think they've got to get a handle on these interns, though, because obviously they are letting them have a little bit too much freedom. And I'm not going to throw out big old accusations, but they might be partaking in some things that would be better used after work. Yeah, this is a problem. It's like after they've gotten the Netflix series. They have a lot of plates spinning and someone is knocking them over, lying that they knocked them over, gluing it back together quickly and putting it back on the thing to put it spinning again. They've got to get a handle on this because Netflix, there's a whole thing about Netflix going down in viewership and, you know, hit the stock market and such like that. Disney Plus cannot afford to look unprofessional and to look unpolished. It needs to have that higher standard if it's going to continue to be the place to go instead of like Netflix and such. I honestly don't know whether it's incompetence or if it's deliberate and they've wanted to try to do some things underneath the radar and they're getting caught with it right now. I don't know which it is or maybe it's a combination, but I agree, Michelle, they need to focus in on getting this right, especially as they start to raise prices, as everybody is raising prices, and people are honestly saying where they want to actually spend their money for the month. Because even with something like Moon Knight, you can come back to it with Disney Plus in a month or two and stream it if you're on another service like Paramount Plus trying to watch Picard right now. You're like, out of the two, I want to watch Picard, so I'm going to subscribe to Paramount Plus so I can see that. And then when Moon Knight is over, I'm going to go over back to Disney Plus and do that. I mean, those decisions are being made by people that are trying to be scrupulous with their money. It is what it is. And I just hope that Disney Plus gets it right. And also, this indicates the amount of attention that is on Disney Plus. 
because people are looking at it with a microscope to come up with this sort of stuff. Like they noticed what episodes of what series were not there anymore. Like DuckTales. In my opinion, who cares if an episode of DuckTales is missing? But for those fans of DuckTales, they care. Excuse you. Yeah, excuse me. I care greatly. DuckTales reboot is one of the greatest TV shows ever made, and I stand by that statement. You're my friend again. That's your opinion, and you're interested in it, and then you are paying attention to it. Yeah. Somebody is paying attention to all this with a microscope to pull it all together, though. If you're going to experiment, you don't experiment with DuckTales. You experiment with Lizzie McGuire. Yeah, and you leave Owl House alone because Owl House is also amazing. Truth. I was going to say two real quick things. One, Disney owns Star Wars, so I think they're taking a cue from George Lucas and saying, we're just going to continue to meddle with all this stuff even after it's been released and see if anybody notices. And two, none of these companies need to raise prices at all. They're making more money than God. Hand over fist, ease up a little bit on the rest of us, and maybe don't splurge for that third yacht. Just be happy with the two that you have. CEOs and execs at these conglomerates. Did you see the projections for next quarter for Netflix, though? They are projecting they're going to lose 2 million subscribers. That's not small. That's concerning. For Netflix. I thought it was 200,000, but in any case, they lost 200,000. They're looking at losing 2 million next quarter. And they might lose more if they crack down on the password sharing because some people are actually Netflix customers so they can share with others. And if they can't share with others, because Netflix to watch it on more than one screen is $13 a month. So you can watch it on multiple screens because it's rough when you have people who are watching Netflix. And so, you know, I caved because I got tired of asking the person I live with if they're on Netflix and what. And so I just caved because I watch a lot of Korean stuff right now. And it's really the only reason why I still have Netflix because of that. Anyway, and it's just like it keeps raising its price. And it's going to get to the point where can I find my Korean shows? someplace else because i've heard there might be another streaming service i can and i need to find out if i can find those ones there because if netflix raises their prices again it's not going to become worth it at least not for me yeah we're taking a hard look in the household on what everybody's watching right now because i am cutting the cord this year i keep saying that but i am cutting the cord we've already made the provisions for it it's simply a matter of watching everything that's left on the dvrs but then we have to make sure that we are continuing to, because I'm not going to blindly have subscriptions to stuff that nobody watches. So I'm going to make sure that people are watching it every month and then I'll pull it. And Disney Plus is part of that. I think Disney Plus has enough content between Star Wars and Marvel for me to be keeping it year round. But if they slip up a month and or two and don't have any new content, I'll pull out. and No problem there just to save a few bucks. Because I'm not on a subscription. I'm on month to month for all of them. Anyway, let's talk about something that's even more awesome, which my bad, we should have started talking about it, but it's not actually highlighted in the show notes. Anthony, what happened this week with Marvel Studios? Finally, the Thor Love and Thunder trailer has come to the internet. After 
many, many complaints and almost meme-like daily posts by Marvel fans. We finally, this week, were able to watch the first teaser trailer for the fourth Thor film, Love and Thunder, which has finally shown us for the first official time Jane Foster, the return of Natalie Portman, who will forever hold a piece of my heart, as the mighty Thor. And the plot synopsis has officially referred to her as Mighty Thor, which is a direct pull from the Jason Aaron run of the comics. So it is very clear that the Aaron run is going to be heavily influencing this film. Even more so of a, not just a reference, but a direct rip from the Jason Aaron runs is one of the most comics accurate shots to date in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which shows Thor and Taika Waititi's Korg standing atop a rock overlooking the corpse of a god who in the comics was identified as Falagar the Behemoth, who died at the hands of Gore the God Butcher, who we know is going to be played by Christian Bale and is going to be the primary villain of the film. So aside from the fact that the comic panel features just Thor and the shot from the film has Thor and Korg, it is a exact recreation of a panel as drawn by Asad Rabich. And I actually tweeted shortly after seeing this that unfortunately, the fact that they're using Asad Rabich's artwork as essentially concept art and it makes it all the way into the film means that he'll get a thank you in the credits, maybe an invitation to the premiere, but no actual money. They are copying his work and putting it in a new medium and saying, thanks for that, but you already got paid for the panel, so we're not going to give you anything else because that's how Marvel runs. Also, there's a shot in the trailer where Thor and Korg are left behind by the Guardians of the Galaxy who fly off in the Milano, or I forget if there's a new name for the ship, but Thor is in the middle of the shot, Korg is on our right, and the left third of the screen is wide and empty, just with the background. There is no way that the scene is going to feature just, in the finished film, there's no way that's going to be just Thor and Korg. There is absolutely a character to the left who has been digitally scrubbed to prevent spoilers. And I am certain I am going to, to wager a good sum of money that it is a certain horse-faced warrior that uh, is known to wield Mjolnir and Stormbreaker and other various weaponry. So I'm, I'm going to bet we're going to see Beta Ray Bill in this film. Can we also make sure, though, we have to mention Natalie Portman having a new set of things to rap about? I am so excited for that possibility. Plus, she just looks amazing in this shot. I'm watching this trailer, like, jokingly, but oh, no, we're just going to get a buddy movie. Okay, okay. Oh, crap, Natalie Portman. This is going to be fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I can't believe we're getting a fourth Thor movie and that I'm actually wanting to see it. Well, first of all, Natalie Portman, we've talked about it before on the podcast. She trained hard to be ripped as much as she can 
I don't know how much CGI that they're going to throw on her body, but she's going to look like Thor in her muscles and everything, which is great. I mean, she's done other things before that she's looked very athletic and great in, but this will be taking that to a new level. So it'd be fun seeing her in this. And as for the other scenes in here, like the scene of the Thor and Korg on the mountaintop and the scene with the digitally removed, we're projecting at least, digitally removed character. Marvel's been known before to throw scenes in trailers which do not show up in the movie or change scenes in trailers that show up in the movie. So, I don't know. Maybe we don't get Korg on the mountaintop. Maybe the scene with the missing character is not going to be in the movie. I don't know. But this at least gets me excited to see the movie. I mean, it was great with the, with the Sweet Child of Mine song playing throughout the entire thing. And it just it felt like another generation of a Thor movie or Guardians of the Galaxy movie or both thrown together. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to this to get back to the MCU as we kind of knew it, but we know that it's going to move on from where we have had it because the next Guardians of the Galaxy movie we've heard has been very tearful. So, this might be one of our last shots to see the Guardians. All right, guys, that's it for the news. Let's move on to some feedback. We got some great feedback on Twitter by Mr. Paracletes. We're going to call him out not once, but twice. First of all, he responded back to us about our coverage of, uh, I believe, two episodes ago, said their inability to detect Amit's power in Harrow kind of feels like when the Jedi Council couldn't detect Palpatine's power on the ride from Corsicant to Naboo. Yeah, that is true because they're not sensing so this is when they're in the council room this is last episode when they're in the council room and when Conchu is trying to and mark they're both trying to testify against arthur and haro just wins it and they're like uh we can't feel Ahmed's power but i think we've kind of seen the result of that now where 10 gods are now on stoned in the wall not just Conchu. so there's been a continual force trying to do this guys so yeah what do you guys think about them not detecting Amit's power in Harrow? it's mostly in the cane though right still the cane was in the room yeah they should have noticed yeah okay also somebody that has access to the legends of shield twitter account posted this little thing that uh I don't know, a few Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. hosts might or might not be interested in. Oh, yeah, it's the Marvel Squirrel Girl, the unbeatable radio show on XM Sirius Radio. Yeah, so we tweeted that, and then Mr. Paracletes came back to us and said, I wondered if you guys heard about this, figured Lauren had. Now, Lauren isn't with us tonight, but we did talk to her behind the scenes, and she basically let out a Squirrel Girl Lauren squee when she heard about it. So thank you very much, Mr. Paracletes, for interacting with us on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at Legends of Shield. You can also find us 
and talk to us all you want on our Discord server at kinnegeek.com slash Discord. All right, Michelle, I think it's time to do something else tonight. So what should we do? Well, we're going to jump on a cliff and we're going to Nathan Drake shimmy our way out of here. Anthony, thank you very much for joining us. We really needed you this week. I mean, we really needed you this week. So thank you so much. And I know you're getting joy out of talking about Moon Knight, but you are also providing us and our listeners with all your expertise, all your fandom on Moon Knight. Thank you very much for being here. It's always a pleasure. And if people want to find your great talent elsewhere, where would they do it? Well, you can find us on, uh, you can find me on my other podcast, my primary podcast, Capes on the Couch, where we actually just released our first ever sequel episode, which covers Moon Knight, because we did him four years ago. And so we just did a new episode covering everything that Mark Spector has been up to in the comics over the past four years. And you can find that on all podcatchers except for Spotify. Our website is capesonthecouch.com. And we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Capes on the Couch. And I thank everyone for listening or watching. If you watch this on YouTube, thank you very much. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Shell underscore game. And right now, I'm just, I'm just here right now. If you like hearing more from me, then the best place is to head on over to playcomics.com where you can hear an episode that I recorded way too long ago where I talked to Colin Bunn about cool Colin Bunn things. Now, granted, this was when Shadow Man was starting, and we did not have any knowledge of him writing our current destined to be a classic Power Rangers versus Godzilla series. So there is no mention of that. But it is a really fun episode you should go check out. I just completed my guest stint on smoking and drinking in space. We covered all six seasons of The Expanse. We covered it one episode at a time, so six total episodes of Smoking and Drinking in Space. You can find that over on creativebraincandy.com and it was really fun, including the season that we killed Chongxi, because you know, The Expanse did kill Chongxi. Or, you might think of it this way, if Chongxi didn't die in The Expanse, then he wouldn't have had his own movie. Mind blown. All right. Thank you very much, listener. We really appreciate you coming by. If you have any feedback, we'd love to talk about it in the future. We know you have questions about this episode. Hit us up and Anthony would be glad to talk to you or respond to you on the next podcast, or you can hit him up at all the places that he said. So until next time, I'm Director SP. I'm Agent Michelle. I'm Agent Chris. And I'm Consultant Anthony. See everybody next week. Bye. Bye. Bye, y'all. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, go to gunageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of Sealed, or Gunna Geek. 
Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended. So I got the new RTX 3070 FTW3 card. Do you have it in, or do you just have it sitting on the shelf looking pretty? It's right outside that door on the floor, actually. I wanted to put it in, but then took a look at my power supply, which is supposed to be specced at 600 watts for this computer. Mm -hmm. It's a pre-built. And it was 500 watts after looking at the sticker on it. I'm like, hmm. Mm -hmm. So I did an analysis on all my computer parts, and including the new graphics card, the minimum was 533 watts. I'm like, no. It's like, I have to order a new one, which actually it's the other thing I didn't know was, is this a cheap, because I've never paid attention to the power supply unit in this computer ever. And it's obviously a cheap power supply and like, okay, well, if I'm going to put a card like that in there, I want a good power supply. So it's not spiking the graphics card. Mm -hmm. So I hemmed and hawed at work. I could have gotten something delivered today that was 650 watts earlier this morning, but I I pulled back from that and was like, I don't know. Let's find out. And I thought over the course of the day, I'm like, well, I don't have the computer in front of me. I don't have the computer components in front of me, so I can't do an analysis or anything like that. I could just go on the opinions of experts. I look online and everybody online says, yeah, generally with a 37 graphics card, you need to have 650 watts as a power supply. Now, I didn't know if that would apply to me because I have an awful lot of hard drives in there. So I I just didn't know. I got home and I opened it up and I'm like, well, if it's 600 watts, I should be okay. And this is before I did the power analysis and with 500 watts. I'm like, that's probably not going to be okay. So I did the analysis both with the current configuration and then swapping out the graphics card for the new one. In the current configuration, I'm fine. I'm at 420, 430 watts, and it's 500 watt system. So I'm at the top end of it, but I'm there. And I did it with it, and it said 533. I'm like, no. Now, in a pinch, I could throw it in there and see what happens, but I'm like, I don't want to just see what happens and ruin this $800 card. Yeah make sure it works and i want to make sure that the power supply is not a cheap power supply that's going to spike so i am going to order what i was going to order this morning the cost difference between a 650 and an 850 was negligible it was like 10 bucks i'm like okay Mm -hmm. i'm going to get the 850 no question there yeah so i measured to make sure it would fit in there and it will so hopefully it will cause the rendering and the editing to go faster but I was also looking at everything else, and you know, this is basically 2015 hardware that I'm running on, which is seven years old now, which I knew at the beginning of the pandemic was the time that I wanted to upgrade, but right then at the beginning of the pandemic was not the time to upgrade. So I'm just lucky that I made it this far. So I'll be slowly upgrading. I was looking at cases and some wonderful 500 to 650 dollar cases out there for computers these days. You probably won't be going with that, but I can imagine. I would love to have one. I've always wanted to have a Corsair Cosmos series. Always wanted to have one. 
back when I bought this one, those cases were running about $330 and now they're at $600, which considering, you know, gear availability, inflation and everything like that is probably right. I mean, I hate to admit it, maybe a little overpriced, but. Oh, that's pretty though. Oh yeah. The Cosmos. Yeah. Also, Cooler Master has a new one. It's called the Half 700M, I believe. <laughs> and that's also a sweetheart. I do like the handles on the Cosmos, though. What kind of sweater is that, SP? This is a, a geeky jersey. This is Captain America. On the back, I believe it's 42 Rogers. I approve. I've been known to be wrong about those before. I chose this because Captain America Zero came out this week. I am wearing my Hocus Hocus shirt. Nice. So I went to my local comic book store yesterday, and they had about half the new stuff that was supposed to come in, and they had no back issues. So I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Where's all the stuff? And they have a basement full of old stuff like silver age stuff and they just said some collector came and took it all like, okay all right then but they didn't have half the episodes or half the issues that i wanted anyway so i'm gonna go for old time's sake next wednesday but i don't think i'm gonna buy anything it'll just be it that'll be the last week and i've been getting the stuff from midtown on thursday the last couple of weeks that's not too bad how bad is the shipping from them that's bad it's 10 bucks but i figure between my time and gas and wear and tear in the car to go anywhere else for me it's actually probably a wash and this way i can curate my own pull list pretty easily a lot easier than it would be from somebody else doing it yeah. Unless I was doing something like you were doing, Chris, which is anything that's a Peach Momoka cover, give it to me. That would be yeah. difficult to do at Midtown. There's a couple one in 1,000 free comic book day issues. You think you're going to get? I'm at least getting first crack. We'll see what the cost ends up being because the owner wants to sit there and kind of see what it's going for and not screw either one of us over. Oh, that's another thing. I forgot about free comic book day. So they're going to give it out at next week when everybody comes pick up their stuff. They're not going to wait for free comic book day. So because everybody, all the stores already have the free comic books. Yeah. So they're going to go ahead and do that. So this will be my last free comic book day. I still think Disney plus should release that new warriors uh, pilot just as like a, why not that and the Marvel's most wanted. I would love to see that pilot. I wouldn't mind it. The new mutants though. I didn't, did you see that movie, Anthony? No, I was talking about the new warriors, I know. which was the, the yeah, I, w- I, was no, I didn't d- see new mutants. I didn't either. From what I heard, I'm not missing anything, which I really makes me sad because bad things, but that movie looked like it had so much promise and, the trailer the first trailer that i saw for it i was like yes i was like this is tonally exactly what they should be going for and then everything i read about it since then is like 
No, they that up. I would like to say, Anthony, I'm really happy that you're here. When we say we would be lost, we are not lying because I honestly, I have no idea how we would be talking about this if we did not have that primer, if we did not have you here, because this is really, I think, the first series where you need comic book background to really understand what's going on. Again, thank you so much for coming here. I'm glad to be here. Uh, it's usually a situation where I info dump about Moon Knight, whether or not it's requested. And so for you all to not only ask for it, but to appreciate it is like, I, I found my moment to shine. Chris, it's kind of like we were talking about DuckTales before. It's like the episode where Darkwing gets captured and Goslin turns to Launchpad and she's like, what do you know about Darkwing Duck? And he's like, yeah. Yeah, well, for right or wrong, definitely this needs a lot of backstory to it. I'm interested in talking to people at work that don't have a comic background. They also don't know that I do this podcast, but I was interested in talking to them to find out how they have been enjoying it. One guy had watched two episodes, episode one and two. And so I didn't get the feedback from episode four here, but he said he was enjoying it and he has no comic book background whatsoever. So that's pretty good to know that he's enjoying it with episode one and two. I told him episode three, he's probably going to enjoy it a lot. And I'm very curious as to episode four. I did give him the advice. You might have, might want to wait a week before episode five is out, but that's up to you. I don't know. Have you guys talked to people that don't have background into Moon Knight and how they've been enjoying the series? My wife had no idea what the hell was going on. None. I was sitting there and even, you know, and that was the second time I'd watched the episode and I'm sitting next to her and she's going, what the is this? And I was like, well, let me learn you a little bit about Jeff Lemire and everything. And literally everybody who has tweeted about it, uh, my old boss tweeted, he was like, what the hell is this? MCU is going off the rails with this. And I'm like, read the Jeff Lemire run. That's all I'm going to say. That's my response to folks is literally just like read Jeff Lemire. I'm sure he's been tagged in so many tweets over the past 36 hours over this, that everybody's like, what is happening? Stephen, hey, what the hell? <laughs> Do you think it's possible to do a Moon Knight series without intense background into the comics? I do, but you would have had to, as I said early, I think it was the, the first episode we'd done. It's very clear the story that they want to tell and they're going to tell it no matter what. And it's a big swing. I'm not going to lie. It's a big swing. I would say it's one of the biggest swings that Marvel has taken with respect to storytelling and things of that nature. Probably since WandaVision, I think was the last time that they, the first couple episodes of WandaVision, I mean, there were folks that were watching that going, it, it's a TV homage. Like, what the hell is going on as you peel back the layers and as the show started to build, you eventually understood what was going on. But those first couple episodes, especially the first one where it was just, there's no reference to anything. It's just the Dick Van Dyke show by way of the MCU. That was a bold move 
It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it pays off. And of course, we see it worked out for them. I think this is in that same vein. I think they're saying, let's do this. Uh, I read the one uh, article, I think it was the EW.com or something with Jeremy Slater, where they were looking at all the gods and everything, and they had the Egyptologist brought in, and he had seen Towerit and the hippo and stuff. And he's like, I want the hippo in the show. And he goes, everybody in the room laughed. And he goes, and then everybody stopped laughing. And he goes, no, seriously, I want the hippo in the show. And they were like, uh, what? And he goes, we're going to do this. And he said, Marvel was Feige and company were there with him the entire way. And they said, okay, if you can sell it and it's not like a joke, just for the sake of a joke, whatever, like if it's part of the story and you can find a way to make it organic within the story that you're telling, we're game for it. And insofar as we've only ever seen Khonshu and now Tower It tracks with the appearance of the gods, I'm sure at some point we'll see Sobek, we'll see Anubis, we'll see Isis, we'll see all the, the gods in their various forms. And it's going to be just every Egyptologist's dream to see these characters depicted on screen. But that seems to be where the show is going. But like I said, that's from his perspective. He was like, we're just going to go balls out. And I respect that. And it's not just because I'm a fan of the character. I respect folks that take the risks and that go headfirst, carefree, and they say, this is what I'm doing. That's why I like absurdist comedy. It's like, we're going to do some wacky and we're not going to hide it. We're not going to couch it. We're just going to go for it. And you're either with us or you're not. We're not going to try to please everybody. We're going to tell what we want to tell. And to people that don't like us, you're not going to like us. But the people that get it are going to love it. Stuff like Tim Robinson, I think you should leave Kung Pao, Enter the Fist, Pootie Tang, like those kinds of comedies where it's like out there and they're just making it for like a small section of folks that get it. I think that's what the show is in, in some respects. And it's a bold strategy to make a show part of the MCU. But given the, frankly, the size and scope of Moon Knight's fan within the MCU, it kind of tracks. I just, like I said, from my take, I like the swings that they're taking. I just think that they could have hewed a little closer to the story and the character, keeping comics accurate while still taking those big swings couldn't tell you exactly how to do it because I'm not that creative of a person. I just think that there's in theory a way that it could have been done. But having said that, I'm much more on board after episodes three and four than I was with one and two. My issue with episode four again is what does this mean? And if you go back to WandaVision at the end of episodes one and two of WandaVision, there was a lot of what does this mean? Not what just happened sort of thing. So I just wish they would have leaned more towards that. Uh, I mean, for my money, there were a lot of folks at the end of one and two and even three going, what the hell just happened? Well, what's interesting is of people who were like, what the hell just happened? Were those who did not know the references. And I think that was a, a 
key part of that, like a lot, again, because I got it because of how old I was. My mom got it because how old she is. Some of us got it, you know, some of them, some people watch that stuff at Nick at night. Some people didn't. So, you know, if you didn't have a lot of that, because people were writing articles, okay, this is a reference to Dick Van Dyke show. This is what the Dick Van Dyke show was because there are certain things. I'm, I'm a teacher, so I understand it's really interesting when certain things are no longer common references anymore or the references have changed. I call it the ice cube test, where in the beginning of my career, my students knew ice cube as the hard hitting rapper. And now my students think of him as the guy from the car movies and he's funny and stuff. And so it's like, there's that generational, I can tell, I can tell where that new generation came in. I've been doing this for 20 years. So like, I can tell where that generational thing has happened. And I think that's part of like what WandaVision showed is like that generational thing. And everything. That's one of the things I thought was interesting about like the reaction to WandaVision. Well, there was that thing going on Twitter recently. It's like, my opinion of you is based on where you know Tim Curry from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, Rocky Horror, Clue. Ooh. I remember him from Legend, that little known Tom. Nobody, when they talk about Tom Cruise, talks about Legend. It's like, you know, he made that movie, right? With Tim Curry and the unicorn. And it's like, people just like want to forget about it. And I, I have not forgotten about it. It's, it was like one of the, you know, I liked it with like Labyrinth. It wasn't as good as Labyrinth. Labyrinth is just up there. But as good as Labyrinth, though. I, I, I don't, I don't I've know. never seen Legend or Labyrinth. You should see Labyrinth or David Bowie. I know David Bowie and the giant cot piece. I'm familiar yeah. enough with it. My cousins yeah, loved it. I, I saw, you know, I saw bits and pieces of it back when it was new-ish. Yeah, because some people are going to know Tim Curry from the Muppet movie that he did. Yeah, that's a good one, Anthony. That's a good one. Like, where do you know Tim Curry from? Well, in this house, we ended the episode with, do you know what this means? You did? We did, because <laughs> we were catching all the Egypt references. We were catching everything in there. It was there eventually got into kind of the what happened but it was the did you catch everything i caught what happened but it was mostly do you know what all of this means is back on the table i've been reading by the way that fly was not scripted it just landed on oscar isaac and he just kept staring at it and just kind of played with it huh. and that's why they kept they they edited the shot they edited the scene to add more of oscar isaac because it was supposed to be just i mean they said like 99 percent of the dialogue in that scene is arthur harrow speaking and they were just going to keep the focus on ethan hawk but they said oscar's reactions were so great even without the fly and then the fly happened and he was just and they said they recut the scene to add more of oscar's reactions and they said it worked so well I honestly thought, true story, that the fly was intentional and it was a reference because in certain issues of the comics, Khonshu, uh, at least one issue that I can recall, Khonshu has appeared to Mark as a fly talking to him. And Mark, like, 
bing, flicks him off and is like, I don't want to deal with you anymore. So when the fly landed on Mark's hand and he's staring at it and stuff, I was literally sitting there going, oh, Conchu is here. And he's like, this is the only place I can speak to you or whatever. Like something was going to go down with that fly. Cause I'm that guy who's like, I'm reading into that isn't there. I didn't go so far as to think, Oh, we're going to see Mephisto in, you know, WandaVision or whatever. But I did think, Oh, my, my friend's a scientist. I was like, they're going to bring in Reed Richards. They would have to cast Reed Richards. I don't think they've done that yet. No, that we know of. Yeah, that we know of. It appear out of nowhere. Get Krasinski on the phone, you cowards. Another hallmark of great acting that I've heard out of Hollywood is if you're totally committed to the scene, right? So you're in the scene. So it's not just you getting from line to line to line. This is what separates mediocre actors from great actors, is their reactions and how they actually play the scene where they're not actually talking or the main focus, they could even be off camera, but the director is going to see what you're doing and be able to use that in other scenes as well. And the writers see it and the producer and the showrunner will see it. And then they, they could elevate a character from nothing to something basically where you get characters out of nowhere, like Emily bet Rickards in Michelle in arrow, you know, her chemistry with, Stephen Amell in those, or her ability to act like there was chemistry in those early episodes. So they, they wrote her part as a major part of the entire thing. So she got what seven great seasons out of it. Martin Sheen wasn't supposed to show up in, wasn't supposed to be part of the whole West wing. He was going to be the president, but he was going to show up in the first episode and like occasionally whatever, but they were like, Oh, we need you in here. But I mean, yeah. acting is reacting. That's as, I've dabbled in acting myself and so much of it is what are you doing when the focus isn't on you? Yeah. Rob Lowe got upset because he really thought he was going to be the star of West Wing, And then Martin Sheen shows up and they decided to make it more like him and the ensemble and all that type of stuff. Rob's greatest uh, mistake I think was leaving that show. He should have rode that into the end because they were grooming him to be a huge bigger part of the show anyway. And then he just left. His greatest role is still Chris Traeger. I still remember him from Youngblood. Not his greatest role, but I just remember him from it. This is uh, probably going to be the last week where I will be in this office. I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that by next week I will be in my new basement office where uh, I will be looking at you on my brand new dual 29-inch extra wide screen monitors with mm. the with the wall mount and a wall of two inch pyramid foam behind it i'm basically building you know sound treatment on that wall the reflection yeah and i've got uh, all the i've got uh, the ceiling filled with safe and sound thank you chris you're welcome so we we basically designed that basement office with podcasting in mind is the, are the monitors like 4k monitors that are stretched out a little bit or oh yeah 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 they're ultra wide okay says we have, have two of them yeah we have uh are they i honestly don't know how big they are they're like huge 49 inch monitors 
uh, wide monitors. So it's basically two 10K monitors side by side. But that's my problem, not 10K, just 10, 1080. And that's my problem. It's, it's the lower half of one 4K monitor. And I'm like, you guys don't realize that you've actually given up some capability because I had two 4K monitors on my desk and you're forcing me to do this one stretch monitor that is 1080. I'm like, yeah, you guys don't understand resolution. Anthony, we'll need to compare your new setup to my five monitors. No, definitely more screen space. I mean, as of right now, I just have two 20, like 21 or 22s side by side, but they're, you know, just regular widescreen. Mm-hmm. This is two 29s ultra widescreen and they're, they are flat because I don't like the curved look. It'll be nice to put them next to each other and get all that real estate, or I can do one, you know, one horizontal and one vertical. Yeah. With my new graphics card, I just thought about this. I'm going to have to get some new co- new cords to go from it to my monitors because I've got three display ports and one HDMI port, which is totally different than what I have right now. I mean, I, I'll make it work. I've got all sorts of converters and stuff like that. So no problem, but well, get get a converter and stick with the HDMI. I mean, unless you're doing like 4K at at uh, you know 4K at 60 frames per second, whatever, because the HDMI is the, as far as the cables go. DisplayPort is a bit finicky. Yeah, I'm I'm aware after our issues at work and stuff like that, but I don't have any 4K monitors at home yet. That was supposed to be a purchase for this year, but I scored the graphics card early which will help when i when i'm rendering videos and editing stuff like that so that that's what's really the cause of it but because i got this new graphics card i need a new power supply because my power supply isn't big enough and then my case is going to have to be bigger and then realize my processor is seven years old so you know this is a domino effect yep i know that well Prices are starting to come down on the the graphics card from what I'm seeing that they're finally starting to level out and the market is eventually over the next couple of months going to rebalance itself. And I'm hoping at that point that I can upgrade my rig because I, this is like a six year old setup, five, six, something like that. I've got a Titan X in here. I'm still going strong, but I'd like something better. And then I'll just take this rig, I'll reformat it. And then this will be my VR rig. Yeah, I was t- taking a look at when I bought this was 2016 and it's refurbished from 2015. So it was high end when I got it, but it's it's been in need of, of upgrading for a while. And because of the pandemic, I was like, nope, not going to do it because, you know, prices were just through the roof. And uh, now I'm going to start doing it. I think my next purchase is going to be a case and we'll just go from there. But the, the 4K monitors are just going to have to wait until I get a new computer. Yeah. At this point, because like, eh. also, I want my desk space to look different. And if I keep podcasting, that means I'm going to have to upgrade my podcasting gear, which is also similarly old. But it works for now. So, yeah, I was noticing that your pictures are down from your wall. Yeah, I've cleaned a lot of stuff out. You really don't see much else. But yes, my photos are all down. They're all down in the basement. I just had uh, the HVAC guy here actually tonight. We had to re 
configure some stuff so now I can put up some sheetrock and I gain a whole slew of extra wall space. Woohoo. And I have a giant I put two desks together to make one giant L-shaped desk along the back wall. I'm excited. So you're going to be interrogating people for, you know, your real-time job down there? <laughs> no, no, sadly, I'll just it, it's going to be my little quiet space to get away from the kids. Say, Chris, did you find that necklace for Kaylee? Not yet. I'm starting to worry. Yeah, I'd be worried very much so. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is copyright 2013 through 2022.